Fantasy Animation is a completely free, online, educational resource dedicated to examining the relationship between fantasy storytelling and the medium of animation. It is staffed by a volunteer army of academics and animators who give up their time to run the website so that our audience can be kept informed not just about the latest goings-on in the world of all things that are drawn, imagined and sculpted, but to help inform them about the historical, political, ethical and aesthetic ramifications of what it means to make an animated fantasy. Check out our weekly blog posts containing insights on everything from the sexual identity of SpongeBob SquarePants to how to make an animation on a pair of knickers. You can also access our archive of podcasts featuring Oscar-winning VFX supervisors, historians, classicists, animators and folklorists discussing their favourite examples of fantasy animation. To find out more, visit us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Reddit at FanAnimResearch, F-A-N-A-N-I-M Research, or visit fantasy-animation.org. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome everyone to the latest episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast with me, Chris Holliday. And me, Alex Sargent. So today we're tackling a film that is both about 20 years old um, and yet one that feels very present or contemporary insofar as it deals with the animated representation of illness, which in turn I think gets us thinking about both informational imagery and imaginative depictions of a body's internal workings when experiencing sickness and infection. We are talking today about Osmosis Jones, Warner Brothers um, feature directed by Peter and Bobby Farrelly, in which a white blood cell policeman joins together with a cold pill to stop a deadly virus from destroying the human they live in. Now, this, uh, Alex, is an, is an animated live-action hybrid, but I think a different kind of hybrid that we've perhaps dealt with before on the podcast, as the two worlds are largely kept distinct. But I've got some some notes and, and things to discuss on so-called viral imagery, uh, race. I think there's lots to say about race in relation to voice casting and the soundtrack, uh, the recent history of Warner Brothers feature animation, and the scene, which I can imagine you want to talk about, in which the subconscious and Frank, uh, so the human of the story played by Bill Murray, his dreams are represented by a cinema um, so I was thinking about writing on the brain and cinema and how cinema can be considered thought-like. But um, Alex, talk to me about the world of Osmosis Jones um, and fantasy before we introduce our special guest. Yeah, I love a good body fantasy, me. Um, I, you know, this is this is a, a really lovely way of of reconceptualizing the sort of uh, you know that mystical relationship we have to our bodies. I thought that the sort of body as city. Uh, paradigm that the film sets up was really interesting yeah. and what was essentially what is this like lethal weapon meets inside out um so there's yeah. loads of fun things to talk about how that world is conceptualized um i think i would add the environment perhaps to your uh, list of themes okay. we could talk about yeah, yeah. i don't know whether that was pressing at the time but i'm sure our guest can speak to that Yes, um, our guest for this episode is Tom Sito, an animator, animation historian and teacher who's also the film's animation director, which I'd like to, to talk a little bit about in terms of that role, who's worked on numerous Hollywood animated fantasy films at Disney, DreamWorks and Warner Brothers, which we will get onto. So aside from being a veteran of the Hollywood animation industry, he is also a professor of cinematic arts at the University of Southern California and an author too, whose work includes Drawing the Line, the untold story of uh, animation unions from Bosco to Bart Simpson, 
um, moving innovation, uh, history of computer animation, which you can imagine sits on my shelf at home. And then more recently, which he's just given us a glimpse of on the Zoom, Eat, Drink, Animate, an animator's cookbook containing the food recipes of famous animators. Tom, thank you ever so much, uh, as I said, for joining us on the podcast, which is either very late or very early in the morning for you, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. So now looking at your filmography, I was struck by a couple of things uh, in this journey towards Moses Jones. Um, firstly, I think it's tricky to find a, an example of popular animated media made since the late 1980s that you haven't worked on. So we've got, <laughs> and including a number of episodes, you know, a number of case studies that we've looked at on the episode. So Who Framed Roger Rabbit, a number of films that fall under the D Disney feature animation banner from The Little Mermaid to, to The Lion King and Pocahontas. Um, the second thing I notice is that it's unusual, or perhaps it wasn't at the time, to have someone move between big studios, particularly uh, perhaps of, if we think today of, of sort of you know people tending to, tending to stay at Pixar's. But you moved from Disney to DreamWorks, where you worked on Ants, the the Prince of um, Egypt, and uh, with a storyboard director of the first Shrek. Then on to Warner Brothers, where you co-directed the film under discussion for today, Osmosis Jones, as well as Looney Tunes, uh, working on Looney Tunes back in action and Garfield. So my opening question, like your career is very broad, really, but could you give us a flavour of how you ended up at, at Warner Brothers from Disney and DreamWorks and how you came to direct these sort of animated sequences for Osmosis Jones, particularly as your kind of career in Hollywood, I think, kind of maps really nicely onto that so-called sort of renaissance of animation from the from the eighties onto onto kind of where we are today. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I guess uh, you know I, I kind of followed like a normal trajectory of a lot of animation folks uh, working in this business. Uh, you know, when you see a good opportunity and a chance to move up, uh, um, I, I I directed in the eighties um, uh, television, and then uh, I went back to storyboard um, and animation to work on uh, on Roger Rabbit and 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 for Disney, and um, I was I was going to be directing. Um, a sequence of Fantasia continued, but then right around that time, um, uh, DreamWorks appeared. And uh, I really enjoyed working with Jeffrey Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg. And they seemed like, you know, and it was a chance to do something new, just to kind of like break new ground, start a studio, yeah. you know, which I thought would be fun. And this is the mid nineties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like about 1995. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was working on uh, Pocahontas, I think at the time. And, um, Anyway, so so uh, when my contract was up, I uh, I left to go to DreamWorks, and then uh, yeah, put in three years there, and uh, you know it, there's varying successes. Some places it was working, some places not. Like the Shrek went, it was a very difficult birth. You know, we went through uh, a lot of um, rewrites and a lot of changes of script and changes of directors and. Uh, all that sort of thing, and uh, you know the in, the end result came out great. You, you know, I was, really, I was I remember the weekend before it opened, people were like, "What do you think's going to do?" I go, "I don't know." <laughs> Just I can't. Yeah. Tell I, I think it did all right. Let's say that I think Shrek yeah. did all right. Yeah, yeah. It was a massive, massive hit. Yeah. You know, and just like wow, you know. Um, but then, uh, but then, uh, you know, um, I got this offer to go to Warner Brothers, and uh, and Warner Brothers was trying to compete with. Disney and DreamWorks and stuff and be in that whole mix with, with theatrical animation. Yeah. They were doing very well with television, of course, with Animaniacs and, uh, you know, Tiny Toons and things like that. And then um, the script of Osmosis um, 
was one of the better scripts I'd read and, and, and you know, in, in, the, in the past couple of years. So the scripts were actually, you know, uh, was, was very good. It was very well, uh, you know, very clever, you know, idea. But, you know, like anything in a, in a studio, there's always about three or four films in pre-development. And, uh, and, you know, and you don't know which one's going to go ahead, you know. And um, they were finishing The Iron Giant at Warner Brothers. And then there were scripts for um, a remake of The Amazing Mr. Limpet and a script for The New Gods, you know, the, uh, one of the Marvel-type pictures. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Osmosis. And um, they were all kind of going around at the same time. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, our film wound up getting greenlit. You know, I've heard varying re- varying reasons why I got greenlit. You know, <laughs> one one of the one of the naughtiest uh, uh, you know reasons I heard was um, was our writer uh, uh, actually sent a copy of the script to Steven Spielberg because he was looking for more work, and Spielberg read it and then called the head of Warner Brothers and said, "Hey, this is pretty good. Are you going to do this? I'll do it if you don't want." Oh, and they're like, "We're doing it." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly, we're, you know, we're greenlit. You know, uh, that, that's one version. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think that they they had uh, tremendous foresight and so it was going to be a great film. And uh, and and also um, for for a little while, Will Smith was was interested in doing Ozzy for, for the first okay. time, you know. And then uh, he wound up passing, but but. Um, but at the same time, Chris Rock's people and Chris Tucker's people contacted us yeah. and said, uh, "Brother Will doesn't want to do it. Let us know." <laughs> like, well, I, well, I wonder whether, in the case of, I mean, you know, I th- I've got a lot of few questions around kind of race in relation to, to voice acting. It's mm-hmm. interesting that you um, <clears throat> mentioned Will Smith and I think yeah, a number of the other voice artists in the film, Lawrence Fishburne, um, yeah. Brandy. I think, yeah, some interesting stuff around race. Yeah. I suppose um, I. I with with regards to voice, it's interesting, I guess, that one might consider these a- actors to want to do animation because they can flex their comedic muscles in this particular way that that perhaps they haven't had a chance to. Um, and uh, I was thinking about the kind of first wave because this is so. This is two thousand and one. So yeah, let's say Disney Renaissance is just over. Quote unquote Disney Renaissance is a decade old. Toy Story's mm-hmm. only been out five or six years. This is also the same year as Shrek. So in terms of celebrity voice acting. Um, you mentioned audio discipline, which I really like. And this, I, I just wondered, you know, a lot of early animated voice actors, yes, they're stars, but I was thinking stand-up comedians as well. And I think that sort of, from Robin Williams to, to Chris Rock, that extemporizing way that, that Chris Rock speaks and, and obviously must be a dream to animate to or to, to sort of play off as you're working with, you know, to create these kind of characters and performances. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's like when you have a really good voice performance, it, you know, it's, it's half the battle. So as an animator, you, you're you're very inspired, you know, and, and, and if you could match the same energy and, and manic kind of like style of, uh, um, you know, that they bring to it, then it's going to be really good. I, I mean, I had a chance, you know, I animated, um, uh, you know, a lot of Genie, you know, with Robin Williams, yeah. you know, Aladdin. and and Robin was like that. I mean, every... Every line that was written, Robert gave you nine, you know, extra additional improvisations, <laughs> which were all just as good. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, so it was an embarrassment of riches. Well, like, you know, like what, what should we pick from, from all this stuff? And um, other actors aren't comfortable with, um, with uh, um, improvisation. You know, they just want to do whatever's on the page. That's what they'll read. So, so you got the script for Osmosis Jones, and and did you sign up to direct straight away, or was that a, a slow process of, of evolution? Um, well, yeah, I came over from DreamWorks with the understanding I beat a, uh, you know, the the co-director, 
So, so okay. me, me and my partner, uh, Pete Kroon, yep. uh, you know, were the two um, animation directors. Uh, the Farrelly's hadn't really come on the scene yet and everything. We, we, we you know, the, we weren't really sure how much anima- uh, live action we were going to do as opposed to animation. So we, they were still sort of negotiating. And I, okay. and I think uh, Warner Brothers was very anxious to get the Farrelly's away from Fox because, you know, they had an exclusive deal with Fox and they had done Kingpin and something about Mary yeah. and they were working on Shallow Hal, you know, so, so they were hoping that they could get them, you know, to do some stuff at, at, at WB. But, um, but at the time, you know, you know, up to the, to when we began production, it was just me and Pete, you know, doing everything. And, and how much of the scripts, because you're right, I think mo- the film is actually, I'd say, what, 60, 70% animated? Maybe I'm, I'm feeling like it's that amount, but it certainly yeah. feels more animated than live action. Yeah. Um, so I wonder how much of that, it was always conceived of as a hybrid then, which is interesting to know yeah. as a start, because I'd like to know when that creative decision was made that this will, what we're conceiving here is a hybrid live action animation crossover and, and how that came about and then and how much of the live action stuff was fleshed out then if you hadn't quite worked that bit of the of the film out yet it was it seemed to be it seems to be an animated film that slowly gave birth to its live action kind of counterpart <laughs> rather than the other yeah, way around that's true that's just unusual yeah yeah it's like mm. it's like who framed roger rabbit was like the opposite and everything it was a live action movie with an animated character in fact there was a whole genre of of movies for a while like garfield and ted uh-huh. things like that mm. they called them hybrids and a hybrid is a live action film with one animated character that that you put in um but but this was like kind of the opposite it's like really we thought of it as an animated film first uh, that that was going to have live action sequences and originally we were first talking about like about 5 minutes worth yeah. but um but then like when the Farrellys came in, you know, they had a great relationship with Bill Murray and they wanted to bring Bill Murray in to do it, you know. And it was a little bit of it was a little bit of an issue at first because Bill Murray is not out of shape. <laughs> you know, like bicycles a lot, he he golfs a lot and everything. You know, he's such a good golfer, he could turn pro if he wanted to, you know. So so you know, and you know, you're looking at him laying there sick, and, and you can see the muscles in his legs, and mm. <laughs> you know, he, looks, he, he looks way too healthy. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. L- lots of makeup I applied, lots of gr- yeah. uh, gray paints to the to the forehead yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well, we were deep into production of the of the animation when the uh, uh, when the Farrellys rewrote the live action. Oh and, right, and brought in Bill Murray and all, and then from five minutes it expanded to like about twenty minutes. So I think we had like sixty minutes of, of of animation and about twenty yeah. minutes of, of of live, and um and and yeah, and just trying to make sure that they that they fitted together because they hadn't done an effects picture before like this, you know, like a real type of uh, um you, you know working with a with a um with a, with an effects heavy type production. Yeah, you know they're used to just doing like sort of more more um, uh, general sort of live action slapstick, you know, you, you know, you know, kind of films. Uh, so, so, so it's a learning process and everything for for, for both sides. Um, the Farley is very good at improvisational humor too. They 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 they're very funny when they're writing stuff, you know, and and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and they they write a lot of stuff like right on the spot. And also, so, you know, luckily they had a good relationship with our screenwriter and also nobody screamed and jumped out a window or anything, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. oh. so. On that, 
on that issue of hybridity, and, and maybe this is yeah, not really a question at all, but it's there from an industry perspective because I was thinking around all the debates around around Avatar and whether it's an animated film or not an animated film, and the oh, sort yeah. of limitations of the amount of minutes. And so I wondered, is there a uh, at this stage on Osmosis Don'ts, is there a we need an amount of animation to have it classed as an animated or animated film? Or because I'm thinking about when you submit it, you know, when these things get submitted to oh, yeah. press or, or yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So is there an industry dimension to this as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I was a governor of the Motion Picture Academy also, so so the um, we would always have this argument every year. We call it the Beowulf argument, which is <laughs> is this an animated <laughs> film or a live action film? I don't know, <laughs> you know. And and uh, the the rule we came up with. Is 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 if your main characters, if seventy percent of the action of your main characters are done by frame by frame articulation, then that's okay. considered animation. You know, because it is. Yeah, I mean, technically, Avatar would have, you know, you know, qualified as as an uh, an animated film. But actually, James Cameron did want it. You know, he he yeah. says, "I don't do animation. That's Pixar." You know, that, that, you know, you know, I do live action. Like, okay. Yeah, we're all we're all we're all going. Yeah, okay about that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, <laughs> for blue people walking around. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, James. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm really live action is like about five minutes of Sigourney Weaver smoking cigarettes in a, in a laboratory, you know? <laughs> and the guy pulls himself Sam up. Sam Worthington himself. looking a bit cross. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So, okay, interestingly. So, but I, I mean, to, we, we'll move off this issue of hybridity in a second. But I'm just interested as to why it was. So, why is it just a creative decision of okay, we've got this movie that flips between the, the body yeah. and inside the body. So, a good way to articulate that would be to do it as live action or animation. Is it as simple as that? Or what, why conceive it? as a hybrid if if that sort of the live action component sort of hadn't quite been fleshed through was it to distinguish itself from pixar or yeah, uh, or was it yeah. yeah i think it was yeah i think the idea was 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 showing a distinct difference between the the animated world and the real world and and, and you know and you have this fantasy idea like like you know the, the the nature of the story was was the guy who wrote it was trying to basically do a a, a satire on on Hollywood action films, which are the buddy cop films, which is always the mismatch partners, and and you, you know with the, the the police chief who blows a stack, and the corrupt mayor, and the city councilwoman who's got the hots for the for the young detective who's real street and doesn't play by the rules, and you know it's you know all the tropes are there, you know you know except it's it's in the human body. You know, and like that, and that that was the fun of it. You know, so so we we wanted to be as true to the to the to, to those traditions of uh, of the you know yeah the sort of uh, you know lethal weapon you know Schwarzenegger type action films, uh, except except it's anim you know the distinction would be it would be animation and, and being a pure fantasy like that. You, you know, we, you know the kind of discussions we would have was uh, like the studio would send us notes. Uh, and and say, is it going to be dark? We did Inner Space with Martin Short and and um, you, you know and Dennis Quaid, and it was dark inside the body. <laughs> like, don't worry, it's not going to be dark. Yes. Be fucking, don't worry. <laughs> okay, you know, that's a good note. Um, yeah, we'll switch the light on. Well, actually, it talks of darkness and brightness. Like it, you're also. Um, you're drawing on a tradition of, of, you know, articulating fantasy through that, the technology, you know, it goes back, you know, the obligatory Wizard of Oz reference of the, of the week in the podcast comes in at this point, because it comes right back to that kind of, you know, announcing the move into fantasy through a, a move into a different technology, whether it be, you know, 
uh, Dorothy into color or Mary Poppins steps into the chalk painting all that sort of stuff so you're also kind of setting this world up to be a playful world which you can poke fun at tropes and poke fun at society in general right there's a sort of more societal message because you've got this city run by this kind of Sort of cor- well corrupt, but not necessarily corrupt in the kind not of not a villain cigar Yeah, yeah, not a villain. But yeah, not. The, the, I mean, the mayor's just not sort a of inept. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. A, a bit venal and inept, and 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 courting popularity over kind of the substance of the issue. So there's there's some fun to be had there in the world of 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 is it of of the body, yeah. so to speak, um, that the film plays yeah. with. Yeah, I, I I mean, you know, I'm I'm actually, you know, we're all actually kind of amazed that the film was as prescient as it was because yeah. if, if we think uh, i mean i don't want to get into you know american politics but if you think of our previous uh leader but it is interesting because yeah the mayor knows that there's a dangerous disease inside the body and he doesn't want to make a big deal about it because he's worried about his re-election so he's like sitting on all this information while 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 things are getting worse and worse like hmm I heard that before. Yeah, I I thought it was amazingly pressy. I thought, that, yeah, the sort of well, I, as I say, I took it as a, a sort of yeah, really interesting satire on just sort of the environment and global warming. Mm. I've read a few reviews that that at the time that focused much more on it, kind of its critique of American health system and and healthcare culture and all that sort of stuff, which I can obviously see as well. But uh, maybe as a Brit, where those issues aren't quite so pre- um, prescient, but and also now it's twenty twenty two. Um, yeah, I was like, oh my god, this is this is yeah. As you say, it's it's Trump. What's happened? <laughs> how how has this animated film predicted the next twenty years of politics? Yeah, but hey, yeah. um, how did you come about designing this world? Then you've been given this incredibly imaginative script full of all these kind of different chambers and zones and areas. Did you tackle one first? Did you start kind of? Um, throwing ideas around sort of starts talk us through that process yeah yeah i mean that's that that part's fun when you really when you really have to like take on a world and say like what what would this look like what would it be like and and, you know and you don't want to look at it like everything else you know and um i had a chance to i had a really i spent a really nice afternoon with 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 richard fleischer who who, you know the son of max fleischer who who Mm -hmm. directed fantastic voyage do you remember Mm -hmm. from the 1960s yeah, 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 with the submarine inside the body, you know, you, you, you know, go, going through everything, Raquel Welch, and you know, all that kind of thing, and um, and and I said, you know, and we had a lot of fun talking about. It. He had he had a lot of great stories, and uh, it's interesting because the difference with Fantastic Voyage was, you had Donald Pleasance as the expert, and and, and our obligatory British actor that you have to have in all these films, yeah. you know. The, the, <laughs> The, the serious the scientific person sure. and, and and so so every time they would go into a new environment Don, uh, donald would go we are now entering the brain <laughs> you know, we're now in the lungs you know and i said well we don't have donald pleasance so we have to make it obvious <laughs> you know that this is the you know and, and then the other thing too was um had a, we had a number of excellent uh, designers and effects artists uh steve pilcher was our art director uh, 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 and he had come off Iron Giant, and then uh, later on he became like a, a very successful um, art director at Pixar, done a lot of great stuff, uh, you know, for them. And 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 uh, we had a development artist um, named Dar Gogol, who's a Polish uh, American artist. And and it's funny because when we were talking about the problem about the light, uh, uh, Dark was the kind of guy where he gets an inspiration and he'll call you up at like one o'clock in the morning and he'll go, Tom, I have idea. And I go, what, what? He goes, when woman 
has baby and the baby's in your stomach and it's and and, and you shine a strong light you see that you can see through this golden light he goes that's the light source i'm like oh okay you know like so there's no horizon to, the freeways could go straight up or they could go upside down or things uh, you know and, and, but but you know we had to set rules so even though there's no there's no um uh, up or down there's no up or down on the body if ozzy drops his coffee his coffee falls down you know so it's just still normal gravity you know the other thing we did is that even though everything has takes place in a city we can't give the city hard edges because it's a, it's an organic structure it's not uh you know it's not you know plain hard planes you know there's no points inside the body you know it's all it's you know so the buildings have to be soft um a, a lot of these other uh, movies that was supposed to take place in the human body also are, are aquatic you know it's a, it's all a very um uh, liquid environment and that at a certain point we decided well we're not going to do that it's just it, it creates more trouble than it's worth and everything you know you know it's it's, it's you know if we're going to do the whole action adventure cop thing you know you know and, and deal with you know submersible <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know stuff like fantastic voyage and all it just creates uh, so many problems that we thought uh, you know uh, okay we'll 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 punt on that one right now so <laughs> just to just to return to to, to donald pleasance um yeah. I, it seems like in the absence of Donald, a voice like Donald Pleasance explaining the different spaces, this is where the police kind of procedural element actually works really nicely yeah. because it yeah. gives you, we start with the mouth at 12.30pm and we're soon we're at, at the back of the gum line at 4pm, we're at the lymph noids third precinct. <laughs> and so all these different kind of intertitles kind of does that job of announcing the different spaces, which I thought was was the moment where ah, okay so the, the the genre of this i.e the, the kind of police element the the police procedural the biracial buddy cop movie essentially template that you're working with here sort of serves a purpose because it can announce it can announce all these kind of playful yeah these sorts of playful ways of treating you know f food food arrivals as if it was coming through an airport and just things like that where your your mind is going off to to think through as you said the kind of rules of the world and and play with that play with that space and alex i think at the start you said that this is you love a body fantasy what is what is a because this seems this seems exactly what the film is if we're going to add another genre to it or a label to it it's a it sits within a tradition of of this kind of body fantasy or it's just these these movies that kind of offer, I guess, what we would call on this podcast a kind of uh, portal quest into into one's own body and and imagining yeah. mm -hmm. the space, not necessarily sort of you know as it is, but as a kind of yeah a mystical realm. And it, I think it just speaks to that kind of I don't know to me at least it speaks to that basic human anxiety or, or that that basic human feeling of, of of kind of mind body dualism. You know, you're constantly trapped in this thing, but you never get to see what's in it. Uh, and if you do see what's in it, you don't really wanna. So like, I, I think there's this wonderful kind of yeah, odd you know, um, integral uh, or in, or introjective logic to these kind of things where you're 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 thinking or imagining what one's own body looks like without really imagining what one's own body actually looks like it reminds me of it always reminds me of the beano comic because that's what i read when i was a kid the british institution of, of the numbskulls oh, yeah. that's always what it reminds yeah, yeah. me of um i'm i'm waiting for the lot for the um i was about to say the live action numbskulls movie i don't want to see that i'd like only if james cameron directs it yeah. um <laughs> um but yes as a, a sort of yeah those kind of movies are really always fun and this one really has fun at using the space to kind of yeah reflect 
um, yes, yeah, so the body actually becomes the the world, yeah. doesn't it? And yeah, the, and, and the, yeah. The it is that thing where, like, you know, you know, the arteries are the freeways, and uh, you know, the the stomach is like a chemical plant, and the brain is an office, and uh, you, you know, you know, the heart's a pump, you know, and there's all those sort of sort of thing, you know, the the, the yeah. there was going to be a scene inside the eyeball where it was called Sea World, like Sea World, ah, oh yeah, where you look out, you know, mm-hmm. you, you know, under like tours and things like that. So all that yeah. kind, of, all that kind of stuff was was fun, yeah, you know. It, but, but the but the logic of it is really interesting because actually most movies like that, or or most sort of examples like that, like say the numbskulls, the, the the way it works is you have the body telling the the sort of minions within the body what it wants and what to do, right? So oh, we've got an order from yeah. such and such, we better go down to the tooth and fix it because he's in pain or whatever. But this one, it's the other way around, right? That the, the sort of collective miasma the collective conscious of the city mm-hmm. dwellers is what is altering yeah. um is it is frank, it frank's yeah. um yeah, yeah. frank's yeah. perspective on the world yeah. right so that's a really interesting dynamic because it's actually it, it helps capture that sense of we're talking about psychology mm-hmm. chris that that the, there's all these competing impulses in the body and, and it's the one that kind of gets to be the loudest is the one that you actually listen to rather than the one that's that's yeah. right. Um, so I thought that was a really good way of sort of articulating something as simple as choosing junk food over kind of yeah. a salad. It, it's interesting that another film we looked at when you talk about inside the body films was um, in the 70s, Woody Allen did a movie called Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex or Were Afraid uh-huh. to Ask. And there's one sequence where which what's happening inside a guy's body when he when when he picks up a girl at a at, at a bar and stuff and they have a little romantic tete-a-tete and everything and and it's like Tony Randall was is in the brain with the brain center and um and and, and I think like Burt Reynolds was in charge of the of the sex drive and uh, <laughs> it was like. You know, and uh, there was a whole, I mean, there's a lot of jokes in, in, in you know, you know, uh, you know, in the gonads. <laughs> it's, sure. like, it's like construction workers, like, come on, everybody. Yeah. It's like, well, we can't do that. You know, like, I mean, we actually had a scene. Uh, we actually wrote a scene called Gonads Gym, you know, which I thought was very funny and everything. And they were like, no, you can't do that. So one of the, one of the only things that survived was, uh, at one point when they're going through the hallways is a statue of a sperm cell and it says our founder oh founder yeah excellent <laughs> i was actually going to ask about like tone and, and who this film was pitched at because obviously bringing the farrelly's in with their back yeah. catalog yeah. that's that's not aiming at the at the traditional um you know disney pixar yeah. um demographic so did you think about that at all in the production who is this movie was it pitched at a slightly more mature demographic yeah, yeah. or did that kind of yeah come i think later? so i think so and and, and you know it, it was a it, it was an ongoing battle with the with the studio because the studio wants to advertise on like um kids wb and uh you know you know and cartoon network and things like that and uh, in america anyway the children's television act of 1996 said you can't um, advertise um, uh, PG-13 or R-rated movies, uh, uh, you know, on children's television. At, uh, only G, and, 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 and it's funny because we were like, because even the Far- the Farrelly's and says so the Farrelly's, Chris Rock, and all it's like we don't do G movies. That's not our kind of movie, you know. Mm. And so we we had a lot of um, contentious meetings, as they say, uh, spirited discussions. <laughs> of, 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 of mm. you know how far do we cut it back because there was some really really clever lines you know that you know it's just like the 
the sensors could just drive you insane. You know, you know. So I think this uh, this leads into a question that I was I had a had a about race and, and voice acting. I suppose the, the the thing I wanted to, to to mention going back very briefly to the sort of prescient nature of the of the film is that yeah we've got Chris Rock, um, Lawrence Fishburne is is the sort of quote unquote villain, um, Brandy Norwood, and also the soundtrack. I was I tried to yeah. make a note of as many of the the artists on the soundtrack. So I just wondered that sort of racial dynamic. There's an interesting conversation to be had around race. I think in the film, given some of the more recent backlash against something like Soul and discussions we've had on the podcast about mm-hmm. how does animation, uh, you know, animate black bodies, you know, a thread of race where this this character this white blood cell given that will smith passed it w- was the character always intended to be a black actor or a black performer yeah i think yeah i think i i, I think like uh, you know i agree with the writers you know and the producer early on that we wanted it to be a black character because we wanted um a, 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 a basically like yeah a, a maverick urban cop uh, that, okay. that that's very street <clears throat> and, and 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 sort of represented street culture <clears throat> and and it just felt it, it just felt like it, it, like hip hop culture. It just felt like it's a natural fit that that it'd be yeah. while while the pill is a sort of an academic sort of um, synthetic sort of character and, and everything. So so it'd be much more um, um, you know yeah. waspy whatever you know you know it would be kind of thing. And and it's yeah. it, it's interesting because because uh, you had your early designs and all, and um, and I did have one. Uh, uh, production, uh, 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 you know, one producer come over to me. Uh, uh, he wasn't related to the project, but he just said to me, um, uh, "I'm just curious, with white blood cell, why did you pick a black guy?" And I go, "He's not black. He's blue." As you said, speaking to that tradition of lethal, we- you know, that kind of bi- the biracial element. Yeah, so I suppose the, the sort of yeah the 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 tradition. So I'm thinking about again, it's sort of 2001 ness, and and maybe this going back to something you said earlier about Warner Brothers and trying to com- trying to compete within theatrical theatrical animation yeah. because yeah we've had a couple a couple of Pixar films we've had a, a couple of DreamWorks films you know as I said this is the same year as, as as Shrek and as part of that product differentiation it seems like it's a lot of computer animated films I think were buddy movies even yeah. you know Monsters Inc Toy Story yeah. To some extent, ants. I think you know, playing with the sort of two people lost. Yeah. So, so it's it's even Shrek, yeah, right? Exactly. But also, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Shrek kind of plays. I you know does unfold that through race as well. I think Eddie Murphy versus Mike Myers. So, the the, the film is 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 yeah is, is sort of trying to to speak to lots and lots of. I don't know. It just seems that it's it's the subject or the the intersection of a lot of competing kind of traditions, both live action and animated. And, and I think also, you know, the stu- the studios themselves going back to the, going back decades, uh, uh, they, they have like sort of a, 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 um, a, 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 not, a not a reputation, but they have a, a, an in-house style, which is that, you know, yeah. Disney's of course is quality family entertainment and everything, the wholesome family, Americana, blah, 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 that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, Fox is a little more irreverent. It's a little more iconoclastic. You know? Warner Brothers was always the studio of uh, urban action films. You know, going yeah. going back to the 30s and everything. You know, that's yeah. that's Warner Brothers. You know, that's that's their zeitgeist. You know, you, you know, whatever the the, yeah, yeah. the the uh the the style of the studio is is urban action. You know, so yeah. but this fit in the in 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 their mold and everything that it could be a Warner Brothers film. You know, you, you know, you wouldn't see Disney doing a film like this. You know, yeah, you know, so that's re- that's really interesting. I think going back to thinking about 
what I know very limitedly about Warner Brothers in relation to kind of th- the 30s gangster film and even even film noir. That I hadn't yeah. really thought about that. That it fits perfectly within the tradition of of the urban the, uh, uh, noir as an urban genre, let's say, and the relationship yeah. that Warner Brothers has to yeah. has to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's also that that sort of house animation style of that's slightly more anarchic, slightly more kind of spiky, slightly more you know that goes right back yeah. to some yeah. Yeah. yeah, you make it a little more crazy. Like yeah, and yeah. and I mean you know you know Chuck Jones was a friend of mine. You know, and Frizz Frailing. You know, I knew all the old guys. Like I was fortunate enough that when I began my career, <clears throat> a lot of the older generation were ending their careers. So I had a chance to yeah. kind of, you know, we, we had a sort of overlap and like, tell me your secrets, old man, tell me. <laughs> yeah. but, but it seems like this film is, again, through the character, because there's moments towards the end, I think, where well, kind of the climax, I suppose, where mm-hmm. where the white blood cell osmosis is sort of is a part of the way that he defeats the virus is his kind of plasmatic fluid energetic body where he can kind of reform and, and split. And it seems like, again, you've got, uh, yeah, you've got, it's, it's the film is playing with scale, which is which is obviously something that ants and, and both ants and the bugs life I think did really, really well playing with a world seen from a different perspective and and that's I think it's been understood through this notion of kind of modality shift where even something like Ratatouille where you're seeing a world that you're familiar with but you're seeing it like children you know children exist in a world that isn't built for them and so you're seeing it from these perspectives that are really unusual and really sort of kind of out there and and uh, that allows you to play with scale and um scope and perspective and I and I kind of got that I think the sense of the of the way that the seeing the world from the the, the view of a of a of a white blood cell but yeah I mean it seems like there's the the animation is perfect for that kind of not necessarily informational quality to the film kind of teaching you about the way that the body works but allowing you to do some sort of I don't know throwbacks to to animation's creative potential kind of doing these sort of yeah nods to a a history of Warner Brothers or something like that yeah yeah I I mean a long time ago uh, um there was there was a great uh actually great British animator and and everything named John Hallis uh uh uh, House of Bachelor and uh, and he said animation should pick up where live action leaves off you know, and, and we really would think about that because with digital and all yeah. the borders of live action have moved so much into, you know, animation and live action kind of bled into one another now. You know, like you look at the Marvel movies and all, and they basically they're like the comic, you know, you know, uh, the, the comic books and, and, you know, and a lot of the, the, the action is sort of because you can get away with. So, so we were trying to think of things that you really couldn't do in a uh, you know in in live action you know at, at, in 2001 now it's probably even easier now than it used to be yeah 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 is that part of the reason why you chose to do it in cell animation then because obviously this is an interesting time in that cgi has yeah. come along there's there's you know some of a lot of the movies we're discussing are are fully yeah. cgi there's also films like prince of egypt that yeah. you've worked on and and we've done on the uh, podcast in the past treasure planet which has a sort of yeah. mix of the two I, I mean now i'm getting scared because normally chris asks this kind of question go on. Um, but uh but like is is there a blend of different technologies going on and, and but there's obviously yeah. a foregrounding of the cell yeah, yeah, animation. yeah i mean the thing is you know uh, um cell animation i mean hadn't been completely defeated yet you know like it would it, it was still like like there was pixar and toy story and then, and of course, there was PDI DreamWorks, you know, you know, doing Shrek and and uh, yeah. ants and all. But uh, but the other studios were still were still working with Cell. Uh, the thing about the, the trick about Osmosis is that the David Hyde Pierce character Drix is animated on computer. Uh, uh, some great software engineers, including a fellow named Scott Johnston, 
uh, developed this software called Tune Shader. And Tune Shader took 3D images and made them look like a 2D cartoon. So they blended uh, flawlessly in with traditional animation. So you could you could have the Iron Giant and make him a 3D character. And Drix was like that. Drix was completely 3D. In fact, a lot of the animators who worked on on Drix after they left uh, after they left us, like I think two went to Pixar, and were working on Finding Nemo, and the other three went to Weta, New Zealand, and worked on Gollum. You know, for, for Lord of the Rings. So. So the buddy movie is the is is kind of an embodiment of that hybridity because it's a it's a hybrid of two of two different animation styles. It's yeah. not just yeah. you know it's, it's 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 kind of a biracial buddy movie, but it's also a cross media buddy movie in, in effect. So I hadn't noticed that 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 yeah that the character was. But there are some CG elements though as well. Oh yeah, kind yeah. of yeah. fully yeah. Three, like more or more obviously, let's say that aren't too shaded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and is that largely to create depth in the world? Again, called oh, yeah, yeah, scale depth and like that. Um, and also the depth. camera moves and all. You know, the problem that you know traditional animation always had was creating a sense of depth. You know, you know things coming close and for uh, you, you know the, the old Disney system. They used to had the multiplane camera, which is they built this huge mm-hmm. structure with glass plates and everything, and you know to create and then would shoot down through it and all. And then with digital, it's become easy. you know depth isn't a problem anymore but you're trying to incorporate that into 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 your films and and, you know make the camera moves more interesting and all you know you know instead of just you know pan and zoom and everything you know you want you want to create more interesting stuff you know because you know we're watching you know the 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 matrix the first matrix movie and uh you know, you know, a number of these other films that that are, are having a lot of fun with a, with a traveling camera, with a, with a camera going 360 around a character. You know, I mean, in, in 2D, that's very hard to do, you know, but in 3D, it's it's, it's fairly simple because it's, yeah. you know, it's by nature, by the term 3D, you know, it's like that. So. And it's also a, a callback to the Matrix as well at one point during the final kind of climactic sequence, the sort of simulation of that sort of bullet time yes. technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things we noticed with, with modern comedy is that audiences today are very cinema literate. Yeah. You, you know, like the, you know, our grandparents' generation, you know, were raised on, on, on literature and, and, you know, radio and things like that. And it's, you know, they, they read their, you know, Sherlock Holmes and, uh, two years before the master, you know, you know, whatever, whatever kind of, you know, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, Lord Jim or this sort of thing. Uh, uh, our generations, uh, you know, raised on movies. So, so, so you, you know, if you say something like, like, let her go, you bitch, <laughs> you know, or something like, you know, or Rosebud's the sleigh or, or, you yeah. know, Bruce Willis was dead all the time. You know, it's like the yeah. audience gets it. So, so any, any kind of like cinematic joke, and everything like like you know I'm, i was only um i wish i could have done more like you know now you see movies like the lego movies and all where they do a lot of um movie references you know and it's very funny stuff you know i was watching i, I just watched the newest the chip and dale movie you know yeah yeah they have a lot of references like yeah. that you know and that's that's fun you know because the audience is it, it you know wants wants to be in on the joke that's that's quite a I just thinking about that. That's quite a Warner yeah, Brothers. Yeah. Well, from yeah. my knowledge, it's quite a Warner Brothers thing, right? Yeah. Back to Looney Tunes. Bugs Bunny would yeah. often be kind of being Marilyn Monroe oh, yeah. and things, right? 
But it's also a staple yeah. of your work because, of course, the genie in oh, Aladdin yeah. is one of like the, the, the classic examples. On Aladdin, we had a lot of arguments about. Um, at one point, well, the genie turned into Jack Nicholson, William F. Buckley, uh, uh, Ed Sullivan, and Arsenio Hall. And, and we said, would anybody under sixty remember Ed Sullivan? He was a he was a variety show host in the nineteen sixties. You know, which most baby boomers, when you were growing up, you your parents had Ed Sullivan on. But it's like, who the hell's going to remember him? But yet, when we ran it for a test audience of children, they laughed anyway. They said he's turning into a funny man. Mm. You, you know, and, yeah. and the older people get it. Um, and actually, the one that dated the fastest was Arsenio Hall. And, you know, with the, you know, which was very popular, you know, when we were doing the movie, yeah. but, uh, but it's one, of, but, but yeah, the, the old Warner Brothers films were filled with, with pop references, you know, the, 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 uh, all the buzz phrases of the time, like, is this trip really necessary? And, uh, you know, you know, how do you do, you know, you know, let's kind of, now I've seen everything, you know, <laughs> these are all like, they're all popular uh, in, in, in radio, uh, radio shows. And, all, and, and, the, and the audience got them, you know, like immediately. And it's funny because Walt Disney deliberately would try to purge his, his, his films of all those references. He didn't want things to date. And, and, and that's the reason why you could watch Snow White right now and enjoy it just like people did in 1937, you know, because it doesn't have any of those, there's very little reference, you know, like that. And, and, and it's funny because Warner Brothers' philosophy was to go the opposite way and to use lots of pop references. That's really intensive. Going back to, that's really intensified in terms of kind of space, I'm thinking of Space Jam, the latest Space Jam, uh, the Tom and Jerry that they did recently, of course, as you say, stuff like... Um, um, Chippendale, uh, their upcoming DC League of Super Pets. It does seem a very, and as you said, Lego movie as well. So, yeah, it seems a very Warner Brothers thing to do. But sorry, and and and, and it's always that it's always that argument mm -hmm. about do you go for the quick laugh with the pop phrase or do you know something that's going to last? You don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm always joking with with um, you know other teachers and artists I work with. I said, you know, the the the, the incoming class. At my university, uh, were born in the year two thousand four, so, so so it's like Lion King and Little Mermaid are like Birth of a Nation to them. Have <laughs> gone with the wind, you know. I mean, and and nine eleven right, was like yeah. Pearl Harbor. Like it's to me, you know. It's like uh, it was very important to my parents. It meant nothing to me, you know. So 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 I, you know. So, so we have to keep, take that into consideration. That 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 uh, yeah. you know when you're using older phrases and all that, you know you, you don't leave people in the dust. That so that leads perfectly onto the, the kind of the final note that I had in relation to kind of I suppose cine, cine literacy for audiences for certain kinds of audiences and and um, the smartness of audiences and and uh, a medium memory or a memory that is drawn from cinema uh, and the role of the in the film of Frank's dreams and his subconscious, given all the creative possibilities, all the different, you know, you can you can turn um, uh, the, a sore throat into a crime scene. The, a left armpit can be a sauna. You've got the Lower East backside, you know, and, and among all of these plays with the neurons and synapses and that, and also, I think I, I, note, I noted down that the the lawyers are kept in the hemorrhoids, but maybe I misheard. But I, I thought that was a good, that was a nice little, nice little. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, yeah. I, <laughs> we actually had a fun sequence with with uh, with Ron Howard, the, the director. Where, where, oh yeah, where, where, where you know Ron played uh, um, the mayor's uh, um, opponent in, in in the election. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah. we tried to give him a very Bobby Kennedy kind of look. You know, like the 
Bobby Kennedy always walked right. around with his shirt and with a jacket slung over his shoulder and, and, and the hair, you know, was always a little must and stuff. And that was like part of the Kennedy affectation. And, and, and um, Ron came in and Ron was very funny. Like he immediately got it. He, you know, you know, he, he, he got all the responses and things like that, you know, and, and they're in the colon and like, you know, you know, he, he, you know, you know, what's that smell, sir? He goes, wait, that's the smell of change, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 given all these incredible opportunities and affordances that the body gives you for this kind of humor, I was really struck by the fact that that cinema is where Frank's dreams happen, and that's there's something quite profound around going going back to when me and Alex once taught a class together on film theory. One, the very first, the very first writers on film are, are psychologists, and obviously Alex's work on Freud and and the uncanny and dreams in the unconscious. I just thought that was a really interesting way of using using cinema and all of the baggage that cinema has with memory and time and nostalgia mm-hmm. to use that as a as a recognizable location for for us as an audience to understand these film posters that are his absolute worst nightmares and things like that. So was that, yeah, I'd love to know a bit more about that. Why, why was the cinema or, or how did you go about? Cause I thought that was a really fascinating sequence to kind of think mm. through some kind of quite long, well, longstanding writing on, on film in relation to these ideas to kind of go, well, of course his, his, his subconscious and his memories and his nightmares would be a cinema because that's what a cinema does. So I just wondered if you had any kind of little tidbits or things like that. Make make a make a long story even longer. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Well, well, I actually I wish I could talk more about it, but I, I, actually, my, my partner Pete, that was his masterpiece, and all like he, right, he really pushed for that uh, you know idea of the subconscious and all. And, and Pete's a very good. He's a Dutch filmmaker originally, and uh, did some very beautiful work later on Ice Age and uh, some of the other. Oh, yeah. uh, blue sky films and all but uh but uh yeah pete conceived that whole idea of the subconscious and all and and it is that thing of like you know they always say that thing that like when you're dying you see your life flash before you and it's like yeah. it's like a replay you know like like you're hitting the replay and you're seeing everything all again supposedly um so so i think it was always that idea that 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 you would see your life in a series of of, of, of cinematic images it, it fit well in a film that's kind of well any kind of hybrid movie like this that that just by the very nature of it is is somewhat self-reflective about what medium it's choosing at any one yeah. moment right you know it doesn't let the audience settle into just well it is this because it is this we've we've chosen to do different things in different ways so that allows that that always opens it up it actually reminded me of kind of like Bakshi movies where they always sort of playing with different um, media and, and structures that the movie did in general and I was going to ask a question not necessarily about Bakshi, unless that's someone that you particularly engage with, but um, um, about sort of style and, and where your references are coming from, because you've gone across all these different studios and all these different competing demands. Where would you say well, your style sits? Well, what I always felt was that, uh, you know, it's funny because, like, you, you, know, you know, Brad Bird uh, was raised in, in a small town on the coast in, 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 in the northwest you know america i think in oregon or something so so, so like uh, iron giant and those films and all were all set in a small town on the coast and and, and other folks uh, around me you know raised in southern california in a certain way well i'm a new york city kid you know like i grew up in new york city and i was on was on our version of the tube you know i was on the subway all the time and uh walking the streets and all and so i really had an affinity for for i really have a love of the street 
in, in, you know, of, of urban, yeah. urban scenes, you know, I mean, that's why I love London too. You know, I mean, it's like, it's like if, it, if when I'm in a city, if, if I can see the sky too easily, it's not a big enough city, you know, <laughs> like New York, you have to go, Oh, there's the sky between those two buildings. Yeah. Oh, it's cloudy. You know, <laughs> And I mean, that's the, that's the, to me, I, I feel comfortable. <laughs> you know? So I wanted that kind of, that urban mm. denseness, uh, you know, that density and everything and this constant bustle all around you and all. And it's actually, it, it, it's, it, it's that sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of a, the urban mythology, you know, mythology of the city and everything. And, and, and the idea that, the, that, that there's a city inside your body and all is, is would be kind of, kind of fun, you know, going outside is like open country, I guess. So. So, you, so that's, that's cause I would say quite a lot of your more memorable, well, your, your, the scenes that leap out to me when I hear your back catalog are these hyperkinetic, yeah. Yeah. busy um, yeah. spaces. Do you, do you, so is it that sense of kind of the bustle, Animation is is quite a kinetic medium and modern, anyway. Obviously, you know, it's of all the yeah, 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 modern yeah, and modern. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like you know, you know, when I was a college student, I remember, you know, you know, going, you know, going drinking with my friends and coming home at dawn and. <laughs> You know, and and but but I remember like you know like the wetness of the streets and the uh, and the, the the little trucks dropping off the morning newspapers and bundles you know by the uh, by the newsstands you know that stuff. kids don't know what that means today but uh, <laughs> back when there were newspapers you know but but you know I remember that 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 sort of. Um, uh, you know, when when the city was waking up and and the night people were going to sleep and all, and there was this sort of overlap, and uh, you know, I find that period very you know very interesting, you know, and and so trying to get that reflected, you know, the 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 wetness on the streets kind of sparkles, you know, kind of glistens and all, and it's kind of nice. So. I I think I was really struck by the comparison between, as I said, that opening Warner Brothers logo that creates a sort of scientific imaginary as if viewed under a microscope, mm-hmm. something very organic and very natural, versus the way that you have to kind of present the image of the high rise in a building and all these, as you say, these these roads that, or enough within the image to be able to, for audiences to be able to go, oh, okay, so I understand this is this is what traffic looks like and 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 that sort of stuff. And I and I found that kind of comparison between a more scientific, let's say, authentic approach to 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 the world versus versus a different kind of yeah hyper modern, hyper kinetic, um, industrial, urban technological space that obviously is offset against the fact this is inside a human but i just thought it was a really interesting way of thinking about what would the world inside us look like and how can we articulate that through images and icons and and signify it in a way that's recognizable and and departure boards and arrival boards and all that kind of stuff i thought was a really interesting these little nuances and details that flesh out flesh out a world really yeah one one point i'd like to make too is that is, is that when we were doing the film um we actually you know it's the great things about doing a film for a large studio is is uh you, you know you could get some really good authorities you know to come in and talk to us about about uh you know so we had so, so we had some some top medical um scientists uh, one guy who worked with Gottlieb on, on on isolating AIDS in the 70s and all. And, and he was talking a lot about gene splicing and all. What hadn't really, really, it was still in its infancy, you know, you know, and um, a DNA, things like that. And and so so we had some top scientists and uh, and, and we could use them as regular reference, you know, so I could call them up and go, uh, uh, how high can your temperature go before this organ failure? 
Uh, over 105 i think when you're about 100 when you get to over 105 then you're in trouble then then organ shutdown starts to happen like oh okay i'll remember that so so you you could you could run it so it's rules yeah it's rules that you're having to follow yeah so the rules work so the white blood cells you know do what they do and the viruses do what they do and um what's interesting is that in all the years since uh, you know, you, you know, the film didn't have a great commercial success in the states, and you know, it ran on cable for a long time and all. But uh, but I, I'm constantly flattered uh, talking to people in, in, in the medical community who say, "I love that film," and I, I, I ran that mm. for my science students, and they all loved it. And, and it's like it's like so many people who are involved in medicine and, and, and everything. Just, they just thought it was the greatest thing because it really kind of spoke to them. Because what we weren't we weren't giving completely false information. I mean, it's still a fantasy, but it 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 followed the rules closely enough that 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 it worked for them. And uh, and uh, I I, you know, I find that very, very gratifying. Well, it's it's uh, you know it's what fantasy and animation can both do is that you know it, it, there's one th- there are versions of this movie where the body is more closely evoked, but in a way they would be mm-hmm. less truthful because. This movie acknowledges that what it's you know it's I don't think anyone would would watch this movie and think okay that's all going on inside me you know but 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 by by stepping to the left you can um you can offer truths that are kind of you know more you can grasp at things that are going on in your body in an easier way because it can illuminate yeah. those things right so I can I can absolutely yeah, yeah. See I mean that, one I of the one of the strengths of animation since its its creation is its ability to speak in metaphor. And, and mm. you, you, you know, you could take complex problems and everything, and, and make it tangible and everything, and give it a give it a a, um, a a shape that you could grasp, and all. You know, you know, just like uh, in the '40s when they made movies about about uh, you know Disney made movies for 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 countries about malaria, about fighting you know yeah. Sophocles mosquito and things like mm. that, and. Um, there was one about blood, you know, called Hemo the Magnificent, you know, that was done in the 50s, you know, it was the Bell Science System, you know, films and all. So all those sort of things, you know. And then, and then, and actually after us, uh, you know, Pixar did Inside Out, which was a movie that takes place in the body. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I guess we should start yeah. to wrap up, uh, Chris. Unless, do you have any final things you wanted to throw? I, would, I guess the one question we always ask um, guests who've, who who are, who are, who are oh, making yes. the, the things that we're talking about is that sort of favourite yeah. moment. So is there any moment, I guess, if we have already mentioned it, that maybe they're a different moment, but a moment that either it's a shot or a couple of seconds or an entire sequence that either you're particularly proud of or just took so much work <laughs> to, to render that, that it's worth mentioning just it. Just for posterity, or, you know, it's, yeah. It's always nice to hear those because they're often more surprising mm. Than you, than yeah. you, think. Mm. you know I, I can't really i can't really think because i just i just you know, like i said you, you know i enjoyed working on the film and i enjoyed the 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 stuff that our that our um, um our designers did like um i had a uh, we had a designer named michelle gagnier who 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 designed the effects for the, for the film and, and 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 he took the challenge of when we said okay let's say there's two bums and a trash fire Okay, there's a fire, but it's not real fire. It's molecular fire. Like, what does what does molecular fire on a cellular level look like? 
you know and so he designed more like you know like a particular type of design just like you know the the fluids and the way the guns would move and things like that they they you know they the the effects had to have a a, a, a cellular molecular feel to them and not just like a regular gun or a regular flame uh, you know explosion or something like that so that stuff was all uh, you know michelle just had a blast with that he's a great designer you know and everybody kind of worked off his lead you know which which was enjoyable but um yeah that's, you know i think yeah. I, I think that was uh yeah I, I had another thought but it just flew out of my head i'll i think a bit later <laughs> <laughs> wait that's one hell of a brief to give him and uh, it sounds like he nailed oh. it out of the park isn't it to come up with a molecular uh, a way of uh, of redesigning molecular fire on a cellular um, level yeah, yeah. i don't know if i'd uh, like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and i think everybody Absolutely. everybody enjoyed yeah, yeah, the challenge yeah. you know i was saying like you, you know how do we make this look like how do we make it look like a city but yet look organic look like it's inside the body yeah you know you know and mm. that stuff is all kind of fun like you know what do the vehicles look like and what are the uh, you know you know whatever so, so as a way of wrapping up, I guess we've talked a lot about what animators can do, I, I, and the the you know they're imaginative, they're technologically sophisticated. But I didn't realise they could cook, uh, Tom. So you've got a you've got a book there that you've uh, oh, shown yes. us once. Just go. give us a little uh, little bit about what this is. Uh, it's a book about is it recipes yeah, yeah. from Actually, different animators? Actually, I was kicking animators. around ideas, but because I've written you know a, bu a bunch of books, and, um, and and I used to be. Uh, when I first started my career in the 70s, I worked with a fellow named uh, uh, which was, uh, Grim Natwick. And that's Richard Williams, oh, yeah. that's Will Richard Williams' caricature of, of Grim. And Grim was a lovely man. He lived 100 wow. years old. Um, he designed Betty Boop. Like he's the guy who sat with a blank piece of paper for for the Fleischers and designed Betty Boop. So when I uh, so when I, I worked with Grimm, I was still very I was like nineteen or twenty, and when I finished uh, working for him, he gave me his chili recipe. So 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 I said okay. <laughs> Looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. Looks nice yeah, so I had a personal chili recipe, and I said, and I was joking with my publisher, and I said. Uh, I've got Grim Natwick's chili recipe and I have a chili recipe from Walt Disney because Walt Disney liked to cook chili. And uh, some friends of mine at, at, at Ghibli gave me Miyazaki's recipe for ramen noodles. I said, you know, I could do a cookbook. And they were like, that's yeah. a great idea, you know. That is a great and idea. then immediately so and it was kind of fun because i called a lot of old animation friends like glenn Keane and michael giacchino and pete doctor you know and i yeah. said you have a favorite recipe <laughs> and, and what i discovered is because uh, when i was writing the book on computer history i discovered yeah. i discovered that people people whose full-time job is doing something virtual like something where you don't actually you can't tangibly hold it, but you're creating stuff on the computer. The way they relax, uh, uh, you know, or, or, you know, take it easy, is to do something tangible. Like a lot of um, people who write code or, or software engineers like to garden, you know, or, or or refinish furniture, and a lot of them like to cook. So once I asked them, I said, "Do you have a favorite recipe?" And they go, "Yeah." Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, and suddenly also Chuck Jones's family sent me one of Chuck's recipes and Bill Hanna of Hanna-Barbera sent me a you know a, a, a recipe and uh, you know all, all the different folks um Oscar Grillo is a great British animator originally from Argentina sent me you know you know a, a thing for Argentine empanadas and uh, you know um Ronnie Del Carmen 
who's an, an award-winning uh, um, director at Pixar, the originally from the Philippines. So he sent me, you know, his mother's, you know, for, for pork pula, you know. So so I have that. So, so I've got kosher, I've got halal, I've got vegan, I've got like, you know, uh, you know, roast pork, <laughs> you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and, and yeah, my only, you know, is that is that it comes from the animator and they all work and robert lentz um my m one of my uh, my colleague was um he was the head of story on a first toy story he's also an excellent cook and stuff so 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 he and i tried a lot of the recipes I mean, he did a lot of the uh, reconstructed the recipes and uh to make sure they so they all work and and it's funny because they're everything from like uh like those two guys who became professional chefs and, and and have very involved you know um you know i, I think the the uh the hallison bachelor's family sent me a wonderful recipe for for goulash and, and stuff and and you know and then and then the simple one was that i had a guy named uh, john schnepp who, who used to direct death metal videos you know, you know like that kind of thing and, and he sent me a thing for yeah, yeah. A, a recipe for for a drink called pickleback which is a, a shot of a shot of bourbon and a shot of pickle juice Throw back one, throw back the other, mm. repeat. <laughs> okay. You, you know, right. but, yeah. but you know, you, you know, also, yeah. you know, Mary Blair, you know, the famous Disney designer, she had a personal martini recipe. And Mark, Mark Davis was a friend of mine. You know, Mark created Cruella de Vil and Maleficent and all. And, and, uh, you know, he animated Bibbidi Bobbidi Boom and Cinderella. And, uh, and yeah, he, he had a personal okay. recipe, you know, for, for martini. So, you know, it, it, we have a, it, everything. So I have drinks, desserts. You know, it, it, you know, Brenda Chapman sent me a banana bread recipe. You know, so it, it it's all kind of fun, but it's all you know. It's got little stories about animation people and stories about working in studio. It, it, you know, not only here but yeah. in London also. I mean, when I lived in London, you know, we used to. The big thing was pub night. You know, it was always on Friday nights. You'd all the studios would call each other, and we'd go. Coaching horses, Wardour Street. Like, okay, you know, like, and the whole business would show up at the same pub, you know, and it was kind of fun because it's like a little, a little mini yeah. reunion party. We'd all see each other and hang out, and and you and you couldn't, you couldn't stay angry at your at your supervisor if he was like, "I'm getting the next round. What do you want?" So I'm like, okay, you know. So I have two. I that's yeah, yeah. I have two. My my two <laughs> thoughts on that. One is I didn't think on this podcast I would hear the sentence. And Brenda Chapman sent me her banana bread recipe. That was the f that's yeah, the first yeah. thing. Um, and the second one I was thinking about Ratatouille in Remy's line about you know compose the salad like you were painting a picture, yeah. which seems perfect given given that kind of yeah the relationship between the tangible and the or the, the virtual and the and the and the tangible. But um, yes, I'm hungry now, and given the time of day it is, it's probably yeah either midnight snack time or breakfast time. But um, Yes, thank you, Tom, ever so much for for joining sure. us and and talking about about Osmosis Jones. And hopefully, you know, it might be one of those films where where you maybe don't get a chance to talk about it versus some of the other stuff. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to direct my students to to Osmosis Jones. I think when we when we have an animation class next next year and talk yeah. about animation's ability to to kind of um, articulate through metaphor, I yeah. think that's a really yeah. This is a great film to kind of to kind of do that with. But um, traditionally, I now hand over to Alex to do the admin because I can't remember our own email address. So, Alex. Well, I'll direct my students to cook uh, and listen yeah, to, to cook some recipes yeah. from Tom's book. Share it with us on social media. I'd love <laughs> to see. Great. Love to see Walt Disney's um, chili. What, what, what do you pair yeah. the films with? Maybe pair the films with the with the recipes. That would be good to see. Um, yeah, you can do that on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram at Fan and Research. F A N A N I M 
research uh, and you can find us on uh, our website fancy-animation.org where you can find our back catalogue of podcasts and blogs um, speaking about a lot of the issues we've discussed today if you uh, felt a bit lost at any point or you'd like us to go over anything or or, or, or spend a few minutes um, engaging with some of the ideas we've discussed here maybe metaphor yeah. anima- animation as metaphor we can do that on a footnote just email us fananimresearch at gmail.com um, and that's been us for an episode Tom thanks very much again for joining us okay thank you very much and we'll see you next time bye 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 now <laughs>